Amen. Good morning. Uh, today's a special day. There are, not, there are not many dates in the Bible that we actually know that coincide with our calendar. Uh, like we don't actually know when Jesus was born, for example. But today we know. It's one of those, it's one of those fixed days. Today is Pentecost. Uh, it's seven weeks after, it's the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after Easter. Uh, seven weeks plus one, uh, 50 days, so Penta, five cost days. So today's the day that Peter got up in front of so many thousands uh, at Pentecost to, to preach the first sermon, uh, really to, to those uh, who would say, well, what should we do? Uh, what should we do? And Peter said, well, repent and get baptized, every single one of you. Uh, this, is the, this gift is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And as even he said it that day, this gift, this promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off. The Blue Ridge Church, 2,000 years from now, uh, this promise is for them. So very cool. So that's today. So very exciting. Uh, we didn't have, I didn't have the foresight enough to preach on it. Uh, we're going to have a different topic, but I did think it was pretty cool to, to realize and, and, and to to celebrate that today is Pentecost and to remember that, uh, that, that today is the actual day, uh, which, is, which is pretty cool. Um, that, you know, where the Romans think they're drunk, but it's only nine in the morning, so how could they be drunk? Uh, you know, all that just now just happened. Uh, so we're actually going to be in Genesis 29, so if you want to hop over there in your Bibles. Um, great service so far. I mean, Jenny and I are glad to be back. We had a little bit of travel. My brother and his wife were in town here for a bit, which is awesome. A lot of you got to meet my brother and his wife, they're down in the, in the uh, Atlanta church, the uh, North River Church of Christ. And, and then we got to go, my wife and I, to Dallas for a little bit and see my, my nieces. I got to see my new niece, uh, Penny. Uh, and uh, Penny's a few, years, or, sorry, a few months old. Uh, so it was good to be able to see the girls. Our vacation was pretty much uh, babysitting, which was awesome. Uh, I was like, man, being an uncle is hard, you know. Uh, it's intense. It's like a little, I know, training, father training, maybe. Who knows? But three, three nieces, they're doing great. Uh, we shared that Wednesday, but greetings from the Dallas-Fort Worth Church of Christ. Um, they're doing well. And we came back, uh, we were here Wednesday. A lot of, a lot of you were here Wednesday. And uh, then we drove to Hampton Roads uh, to be able to actually come together with the, anybody really having a campus influence in the state of Virginia or uh, a bit in Montgomery County too. Uh, the, the, the guy, JC, who leads the UMD ministry came down. And we got a chance for a few days just to talk about how can we be more unified uh, as a state how can we really celebrate growth together? What does growth look like? Um, how, can we, how can we strengthen each other? We do have a great gift in our family of churches to be so unified, but how can we grow all the more uh, to, like Philippians says, contend as one man, uh, and later in Philippians to be united in spirit and purpose. So that was really refreshing. Got to hear a lot of great lessons on, on faith um, from the Millets and the Antons. Uh, Tony Williams came down, uh, the Valencias. So all those Hampton Roads brothers and sisters, they say hello, and they send their love. Uh, so greetings from Hampton Roads. But we're grateful to be back uh, and to sleep in our own bed and to be here back in Charlottesville. Uh, so uh, we bring greetings from all those places. Uh, this summer, we've been actually going through uh, our theme, which is the Summer of Love, which is really funny because we had come up with the theme, the Summer of Love, and then I had tuned in to uh, Hampton Roads Church of Christ uh, sermon, and Ed, the lead pastor there, the lead minister up, he has their theme, which is the summer of love yeah. with like a better logo. And I was like, no, he stole it from us. You know, I was bitter. 
But it turns out, so I, I, I like, any, like any of us would, I, I encountered him on it. And I said, I said, Ed, how dare you? And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, no, this is the 50-year anniversary of the actual Summer of Love in 1967. That's why we did it. And I was like, oh. So I didn't copy us. I just didn't know that it was the 50-year anniversary of the actual Summer of Love in 1967. So there you go. The Holy Spirit was working even in the theme. Who knew? So unbeknownst to us, yes, uh, our theme is relevant. But we're having a theme, and we're actually unified with no real planning, unified with the Hampton Roads Church as well. Uh, and I'm going to try to make our logo look as cool as theirs. Um, still taking classes on it. But uh, the summer of love, the theme there, the whole goal is to uh, be able to focus on that aspect of the Holy Spirit uh, as, as he, he comes alongside us, not only to, to strengthen us, but also to comfort but also to remind us of God's love. And so this summer has been a chance for us to really take heart, 2 Timothy 1.7, which is, God did not give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of fear, but no, he gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so for all of us this summer to really examine and to look inward at our fear, which tends to be Satan's number one uh, strategy, his number one battle plan to get us off track, fear uh, and Satan does a really good job of, of utilizing that in our lives in every single way. We're going through the Old Testament. Today we're going to be talking about uh, someone named Leah. And uh, the title of my lesson is All You Need Is Need. And we'll start off in Genesis chapter 29. We're going a little bit back in time chronologically. I know some of you are like, we just did Joseph. Well, that's okay. We're going to be backed up a little bit. So Joseph is actually, uh, you know, the next generation here. We're going to, we're going to go back in time and look at his dad, his father, Jacob. Really quick, a lot of us know about Jacob. Jacob, actually the name means deceiver. You know anybody named Jacob or Jake? You know, it means deceiver. Uh, he came out grasping his brother's heel, basically like, ha here I am, uh, riding my brother's coattails. He deceives his parents into getting his brother's uh, birthright, Esau. He tricks them. I, he, and that's where we get the term pulling the wool over their eyes, by the way, because he put, he put the wool over himself so that he could be like Esau so that he could, get the, he could trick his dad into getting the, the birthright uh, from him. And so Jacob's a deceiver. Uh, it's kind of his thing. Uh, I always kind of liked Jacob as a kid because I was like, oh, cool, I can like deceive now, and it's okay because it's in the Bible. That's not, that's not what God's going for in the story of Jacob, as we will see uh, by any means. But Jacob is a deceiver. What we get to see, this is a side note. I'd love to spend a whole day on it. We can't. This is a side note. We get to see anybody in this room parent um, or, or in a relationship, in a friendship, uh, all of us pretty much, but to really look at how devastating favoritism can be. Because you begin to see how it actually goes from generation to generation. Isaac favored his son Esau. Rebecca favored Jacob. It causes discord between Jacob and Esau. They're estranged. This is where we pick up where Jacob actually kind of is on his own trying to, trying to start a family. And so in Genesis 29, we'll start in verse 16. Uh, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, we don't really know what weak eyes means. Uh, we know for sure that whatever it is, it's juxtaposed against Rachel's beauty. So it's, it's not looking good for Leah. Basically, she's unattractive. It could have meant that 
uh, it could have meant just that she was unattractive, or it could have also meant that she actually had kind of um, a malady or, or a, d- a disease of the eyes, which was, which was pretty common back in the, in the uh, Near East. In ancient times, actually, it was transmitted from flies, but to actually have like a kind of a disease where it swelled up, your eyelids swelled up, or it was just red. Um, and I'll spare more of the details because it gets kind of gross. But either way, the Bible is trying to tell us Rachel was the successful, favored one. Leah was not. Uh, in verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your, uh, your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban says, it's better that I give you to her than some other man. Uh, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Yikes. This is one of those stories in the Bible. You know, I grew up, I grew up in a postmodern America, so any kind of romantic story appeals to me, you know, and I, I remember reading this as a kid. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a cool like, love story. It's like, you know, you've got mail or something. Um, <laughs> Now, I love the Bible because uh, the Bible is not, you know, obviously uh, submissive to our cultural narratives. Uh, but we're going to see kind of what, what's going to happen here. But as you can see, Jacob's in love with Rachel, and it seemed like only a few days. Seven years. Only a few days because of his love for her. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Whoa. They're not married yet. Give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place to give a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you Jacobed me? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, and finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also, in return for seven more years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his uh, love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Uh, so what we get to start, we start to see with Jacob, uh, we can kind of see is obviously it's, it's a complete reciprocal of what happens with Esau, um, is that Jacob, and this happens a lot with us, another side point, but that we, when we sin, we tend to mitigate it. It's not a big deal. I'll get over it. I can fix it. But when someone else sins, we're obviously outraged. Um, but but here, here Jacob is basically saying, why have you deceived me the same way that you know, I was deceived? And so we see that kind of, once again, what goes around comes around. But also, I want to focus in on one character of the story. It's not Jacob, but it's actually Leah. And I think a lot of us can feel like Leah. You know, rejection is one of the strongest, most painful emotions any of us can feel. Utter, utmost, complete, bold-faced Rejection, uh, and whether it's you know getting blocked on the basketball court, you know, uh, or something more. You know, I remember one time I was I had this wide open layup at this pickup game, and this guy came from behind me, blocked it off of my head out of bounds. So not only did I get blocked, but it was off me, 
off my face, and it was their ball. So it was like, there's no, because when you get blocked, you're like, at least it's our ball. You know, you're like, oh, at least it's our ball, you know. But anyway, utter rejection. Uh, but even still, a bit more intimately, a friendship, uh, a, broken, a broken relationship, someone who knows you, but who rejects you. A rejected application can hurt. Re- rejected uh, anything, proposal, rejected. I mean, it, those things scar us. How have we been rejected? And here's Leah. Uh, she grows up her whole life, probably well aware that she is not as great as her sister. She's not as beautiful. She's not as probably successful or she doesn't have a lot going for her, you know. Even their names um, can mean something. You know, Leah's name actually means cow. Um, which back then, you know, give, give a little credit back then. Like, a cow was currency, so, you know, it was valuable. Um, today we're like, ew. But, uh, but Rachel was a little ewe lamb. You know, even it's, oh, man, it's like this little beautiful, tender, oh, Rachel, you know. And we kind of have this picture of the successful, favored, and the rejected, and the wounded. And we live in a world uh, where we want to be Rachel. Yeah. Oh, man, we, wanna ha- we, we want to be accepted. And however that comes, we want it to come. Now, some of us, that comes through... I want my, my friends to really like me. I want my, my coworkers. I want my classmates to, to like me. I, I want to have success in, in my career. I want, oh, if that person could just like me back or love me back, if we, could, if we could date or get married. And we all want acceptance deep down. And I think where we begin to go wrong is we begin to think we need it and we start to try to achieve it. And that's where sin comes in, right? That's where sin comes in is we think, man, if I need that relationship. I need her to date me. I need my marriage to be better. I need my kids to stop being disobedient and giving me gray hair. I need these things. And they become crucial to our happiness. So we try to achieve them. We try to achieve them sometimes by any means necessary. Uh, This can kind of be manifested in two ways. I think in one way, uh, it can be a very, very worldly Sometimes it can even be like, I'll be willing to do what I need to do to my body to, you know, make this boy or this girl accept me. No matter what I got to do, I'll do it to make this boy or girl accept me and to love me. So we we do what we got to do. Things that we're ashamed of. Things that we hide for years to come. It could be cutting corners. It's a big problem for me in school was I was so stressed of excelling in school. I started to cut corners in integrity. To, to, to cheat or even do things that were kind of under the table so that I could, because it was just this, the idea of not succeeding. I just couldn't handle it. I couldn't deal with it. And so we begin through any means necessary to try to achieve. And once we get it, we think, oh, then, then I'll be happy. Yeah. Oh, boy, if I could just get that diploma. Oh, boy, if I could just, if, if, if that other person could really get their act together, I'd be so happy if I didn't have to keep pulling the weight around here. Uh, and it can be in a very kind of worldly, obvious obvious way. Sometimes it can be through religious pride uh, that we think, oh man, if I could just uh, do these things that I think will please God, then I'll be happy. Sometimes it's just showing up to church. I went to church. I'm good. I'm done. The other guy across the street, he sure didn't. So as long as I'm better than him, I feel like my guilt is appeased. And so we actually can compare in sort of in a religious way or think, oh, I've actually uh, been inviting people to church. I know that other family doesn't. Or I, my, my marriage is still in that other marriage. And, and we start to be critical and we look down. And so through religious pride, we can actually think, oh, I'm achieving God's favor. 
Uh, and it's, we just want to be accepted, right? We want to be accepted. So we start to do whatever we have to do to be accepted. And I've been, I've been here, for sure. Even like little things to, make, to trick myself into feeling like, you know, like, okay, I need to have a quiet time, but I don't have a lot of time. And especially when I was a teenager, you know, I was probably like Jaden's age. And I knew that my disciple, Nick Anderson, was going to ask me if I read and prayed that day. So I would read like one verse and memorize enough so that if he asked me, I could say yes and also what it was about. Um, just to kind of get by. Uh, there was no heart behind it. It was just to get, you know, kind of get through. Uh, I used to be, I was so deceitful. I was like a little Jacob. That's why I like Jacob so much, you know. I was like a little Jacob. Um, but it was deceitful, and it's still in me to be deceitful, to mislead. It's still easy to do that. Um, but all of us, I think we feel, I think what Satan does is he gets us to think we need what we don't really need. Yeah, come on. Start to say, I need this. You know, and someone else may even say, you don't need it, you'll want it. You'll want that. You don't need it. I was talking to a brother recently who had visited in, in Jakarta, Indonesia. And he said that most of the Indonesian disciples are not encouraged to move to America because they'll, be, they'll, they'll struggle spiritually. He said, don't go to America, actually, because there's so much luxury there, so much comfort. Uh, there's just so much that you're going to struggle spiritually. So they're actually encouraged to stay or to go somewhere less uh, affluent, like China or Asia. You can go. We love our American brothers and sisters. You can go, but just know that it's going to be tough. And so... Satan's big plan is, with all of us especially, of, I need these things. If I could just have these things, if I could have the house, if I could have, if I could have the, 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 the social acceptance, if I could just be a little bit more successful in my job, then I'll start sharing my faith because then they'll, then they'll respect me. If I could just have this or that, or if I could be able to be more affluent, if I, if I could be more uh, uh, articulate with how I say things, if I could be friendlier, if I could just have this and that, and I get sucked into that too. Yeah. I get sucked into that too. Of, yeah, uh, one day, I think like I, I need these certain things. I have all these needs. We have a lot of needs, don't we? But they're not really needs. They're wants. And also, I think Satan gets us to think we need them. In reality, we don't. And I think where we begin to transgress is we, we say, we sing songs like we just sang. I need your love. I can't get enough. I can't face a day without some time to pray. We sing that, and we really live that way. We're really good at showing up and saying, yeah, sure, I need God. I'm good. But do we live that way? Do we live like we need God? Because I know there are days of the week that I don't. I don't. There are other things. Oh, I really need to exercise. I need my coffee. I need you not to talk to me right now. I need uh, uh, these things. I need my, my very specific time. You know, I like to have time with God outside. If I can't have time with God outside, oh, how am I going to do it? You know, could be kind of, uh, you know, entitled about that one. But I can't, I can't read my Bible and pray inside, you know. Who could, who could do that ever in the history of the world? But I have, all these, I have all these needs, but they're not needs. It's just my comfort. It's my desire. And Satan gets us to lose sight of what's really important. Uh, and I think this is where he gets Leah. Imagine being Leah. Oh, my goodness. Imagine being Leah. Well, the only reason you get married is because your husband's tricked into it. And the first thing he says when he sees you, you know, I mean, you can imagine when he realizes who he's married, that it's not your sister, but it's actually you, how dissatisfied he is, how angry he is. Um, and the second that Rachel arrives, she's probably an afterthought. I mean, most certainly. That's what the text even tells us here in a second. But imagine that Leah, imagine what Leah is going through. It's utter rejection. And so what Leah does is exactly what we would probably do. She thinks, how could I get my husband's affection? You know what I'll do is I'll have sons. That'll get him. If I could have sons, 
then I'll be able, he'll be able to love me. Let's keep reading in verse 31. Verse 31 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, that's cleaned up for us. That literal Hebrew word in the original language is when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Oh, doesn't that just tear at your heart? As, as, as Leah has her first son, she thinks, maybe, maybe Jacob will love me now. Maybe I'll finally be accepted. I, I've achieved it, right? I, had, I have a son. That's like honor. That's, that's value. That's important. Rachel's not having kids. I have a son. Perhaps now Jacob will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again. This time she gave birth to a son again. And because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, uh, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Other versions say he'll have affection for me. Because I have borne him three sons. That's huge. So he was named Levi. Three sons in this time. It's a big deal. Uh, we can get into why ancient times the son was like basically a free worker. You know, a daughter was too. But the, 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 it, it was, the idea of having a son also meant that your name could live on. There was a lot of honor in the idea of having a son. Uh, and there's a lot of cultural value attached to it. Um, now, obviously, God doesn't necessarily believe that or that God doesn't favor sons over daughters by any means. The whole Old Testament, as we'll see, God works through amazing, amazing daughters of God, daughters of, and women, which is incredible. But here we begin to see that Leah thinks, if I can have sons, I'll, I'll be happy because Jacob will love me. Notice that God allows her. He said, God enabled her to conceive. God said, all right, I see that you're hurting. I see that you're hated. I see that you're rejected. Yeah, you, you can conceive. And Leah thinks, okay, if I can have a son, then my husband will finally love me. Another son. Okay, now, now he'll have affection for me. Another son. Okay, this has got to be it, Right? Now this is the third one. God says, says that God still re- realized, still saw, felt that she was hated, that she was rejected. You know, God knows how you feel. God knows what you're going through. Satan tries to deceive us into thinking that no one can understand and that God can't understand. Not only does God know what you're feeling, God knows that you feel rejected. And we all do at different times. Some of us have very deep wounds of rejection that affect the rest of our lives. Even sometimes we can't even act normally socially because of of such deep wounds. Uh, Or in relationships, I still have things that kind of like, how did I just get there? Why am I angry right now? You know, like uh, deep wounds that that are in there. But not only does God know how you're feeling, God knows what it's like to be rejected. And God knows what it's like to be rejected even more so than we do. Uh, not only do we identify with Leah, but Leah is also a prefiguration of Christ. That she would, that she would be utterly rejected, hated, uh, and so would Christ. That, that he on the cross, would, as they walked by, they hurled insults at him. That no, no one was really there. A few women show up, but none of his close followers who for years said, I'll be there. Who Peter, the night before, says, even if I have to die with you. 
I will be there. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm your guy. I'm your bodyguard. Peter's gone. John's gone. James is gone. Best friends are gone. People who he's probably healed are putting him to death. And not only that, not only that, but it's us too. That every time that we think, ah, I don't need God. Every time we think, ah, I don't need Jesus this week. What I do need is my comfort. I don't need God this week. What I do need is a little bit more money or a little bit more time or a little bit more peace. We reject God. And even as Leah says, if I could just, how do you think God felt? As Leah's like, man, if I could just have a kid, then Jacob will finally accept me. And God's going, sure, I'll let you have your kid. But don't you know that I accept you? I accept you. And sometimes God allows us to make mistakes. He's like, sure, I'll let you get into that school, but it's not going to make you happy. Sure, I'll let you have that raise. Sure, I'll let you date her, marry her even. But it's not going to make you happy. These needs that we think are needs, they're really not. Nothing, no person can make our soul content. No thing can make our soul content. You know, you can't. You can't fill the immaterial with material. You can't fill your heart with these things. You can't. We can try. We try our best to do so. We're good at it. We're good at avoiding pain till we die. But it's a lie and it's Satan's bestseller. It's a lie, and God's, God's merciful enough to let it, let it go, but he's hoping, like Acts 17 says, God has preset the times and places, hoping that you would reach out for him and find him. Wow. God's sitting there going, all right, Leah, I'm going to give you the kid, but I'm hoping that you reach out for me and find me. Yeah. Because this isn't going to make you happy. Jacob's not going to, even if Jacob does accept you, even if the kids, you have a thousand kids, and she has a ton of sons, by the way, nothing ever is going to make Jacob love her. But even if Jacob were to love her, it wouldn't be enough. Uh, if we were to keep reading, we'd realize that Rachel becomes envious of Leah. Whoa. The favored successful one is now envious of Leah. But here's the thing is Rachel, they're all envious and, and they're all divided because of his favoritism. And they're all full of bitterness because they're all comparing each other with each other instead of looking at God. You see that God is kind of removed from this for the most part. The only way God's included in this story is that he's a means to an end. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Is God a means to our end? The second, and that's why difficulties are so important. The second persecutions and afflictions and difficulties come, are you gone because you didn't get what you wanted? Or are you here because you're here for God? That's why persecutions are so crucial. That's why anyone that wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. But we struggle with this idea. You know, God is there for us no matter what. And I want to encourage anyone this morning who feels rejected or you feel like Leah. And I think we all feel like Leah at times, especially uh, in a world where we're constantly reminded of what we are not. A world of advertisements that are constantly showing us people that are not real. Facebook, social media, people's lives look immaculate. People's lives look perfect. Like, you know, like, oh, my life's the worst. And actually have seen that social media use is connected to depression because you're always seeing all these ostensibly amazing things about people. People aren't going on Facebook like, can I, can, you know, I'm struggling. Here's a picture of me when I just woke up. And I'm just having a rough morning, you know. 
No one does that. They take 17 photos and they get the right filter and they're like, day's perfect, you know? And you're like, ah, my life's the worst, you know? And, and we start to struggle because we're surrounded, surrounded by this and Satan wants us to feel like Leah, wants us to feel rejected. And when we feel rejected, we don't, we don't want to do anything. I know for me, when I feel like unembraced or isolated or, you know, and I'm hurt and it could be little, like I, if we went out after church and played pickup basketball and, and I went like, and I didn't make a shot and lost, uh, I'd probably be sad for a few hours, you know? Like, it's pretty little, it's pretty embarrassing, but it's true. Like, if I played a video game and lost, I'd probably be like, oh, man, you know? Jenny's like, are you okay? I'm like, I just need some time. You know, I just need some time. <laughs> it's true, you know? Even the littlest. But if that's how a little rejection feels, yeah. Yeah. how's the big stuff hurting us? How's the big, big stuff? How's it affecting us? I love this passage. That's not a passage. That's my picture. I love this passage. Psalm 27.10. Even if my mother and father abandoned me, the Lord would take me in. I love that one. And it's true in a lot of cases. You could substitute whatever. Even if my, my boss, even if my friends, even if my money abandons me, the Lord would take me in. And sometimes the mistake we make, sometimes the mistake we make we make is that we think we have to achieve God's favor. It cannot be achieved. This is what grace is. This is why we struggle with grace. This is why every morning I have to have a quiet time that's connected to grace because I just don't get it. That's why we have to have quiet times. Unless any of you are just really perfect at knowing the will of God and feeling feeling comforted and feeling like strengthened and emboldened by just the fact that he's loved you. Amen. Please help me. But I feel like every morning I have to be reminded of that because I feel like I blew it today. I better pick up the pace tomorrow or I could be kicked out. Oh, I got to. Oh, you know what? That's not good. Sure. Ten good things happen. But the one bad thing, that's not good. I got to fix that. Uh, I got to fix it. People are going to want me to fix it. And I got to. And I can feel this. And you know what? I forget that all we need is need. We don't need anything to approach God. We don't need to be Rachel. We want to be Rachel. We don't need to have it all together to approach God. We don't need to have it all together to, to have a Bible study today, you know? We don't need those things. All we need is need. But that's the problem because a lot of times we don't think we need God. We come to church and we're asked to study the Bible and we say, maybe next week. Because we don't think we need God. We're asked to pray over the phone and we think, oh, I can't. I don't have any time. We're asked to you know, get that phone call late at night. You don't pick up, you know, your kids. You think, okay, when my kids start uh, behaving a little bit more, then I can start finally living like a disciple again. When my marriage starts getting, getting together like it should be, uh, I can finally start doing these things. But, you know, you don't need that to happen. You, you, all we need is need. You know, for those of us today who, are, who have been asked to study the Bible, to, to, a seeker Bible study, to really find out what it means to be a disciple, to live like a, a Christian, you know, you don't need to have it all together to sit down. You don't need to have it all together. You don't need to know exactly what you feel. You don't need, no one, no one, you don't need to get, be perfect to get baptized. In fact, that's why you're dying, by the way, because you're not perfect. Um, you're dying to your old way of life. You don't, you don't need to have it all together. All you need is need. You don't need to have a ton of free time this week to read your Bible and pray. All you need is need. You don't need to have six hours every day one-on-one time with your kids. You don't need that. All you need is need. You know, 
We, don't, we think we need all these things, but this, the, the, the issue is pride. The issue is pride that we don't think we need it. We really like to do things our way. We do. Uh, there were a couple of brothers recently who kind of confessed to me. They had good hearts about it, but they confessed. They struggle to really take advice because they don't want to be me. They want to put their own spin on it. They want to they they be themselves. We really like that. And I understand that we're not all the same. And I don't, I don't think anybody should be like a Drew robot, for sure. <laughs> Least of all me. But I think there is something to be said about pride destroying yeah. our ability to see grace. Because pride's all about what we've achieved. Look what I've brought to the table. Look what I can do. Look what I've done. Look at, look at, look at me. Uh, and I feel it. I feel it out there in the world. I feel it in Charlottesville. When I meet people for the first time, you know, I can think, oh, what are they thinking? What are they thinking about me? But we don't need all these things. We don't need to have years of experience evangelizing in order to have your coworker or your neighbor into your home this week. You don't, you don't need to know every scripture to study the Bible with a friend. You don't need to. All you need is need. Do you realize you need God? That God's going to actually convert that person. That, God, that you don't have to have all the answers to be able to give somebody else advice. You don't. None of us have the answers. But you realize that God's going to be able to help, you, help them out and help you out along the way. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. But none of us have it all together. We, we don't have to have the answers. We don't have to be best friends in order to listen to each other. Hey, listen, I want to be close to everybody as much as possible, but I think sometimes we rule each other out because we need to be closer. Hey, man, I know we crave friendships. That's what we're saying. We want friendships. I I want friendships too, you know? But sometimes we have to be humble to the person that doesn't know us well when they challenge us or when they speak up. Say, you know what? We don't have because I think we put too much pressure on each other. Oh, I can't speak up to her because I've only known her for 21 years and... You know, I, I wasn't there at a graduation. And we put pressure on each other to jump through all these hoops instead of just speak up to one another. Because we don't need to have the answers. We just need need. We just need to know that we need God. And even if we mess up, we still love each other because we all need God. You know, we don't need to be perfect or look perfect in order to become a disciple. I think Satan wants to get us to feel all these things, these big needs, the things that we need. Uh, the people that God uses in the Bible, he uses for a reason. Leah has nothing going for her. Um, she can't achieve. She tries. That's like us, right? We can't achieve God's favor. We try. And God's saying, I'll give you your little desire here, but uh, I hope you can realize that it's, it's going to kill you. That Jacob, you'll be hurt, you'll be wounded the rest of your life. Now let's close out with this idea. Verse 34. I'm sorry, verse 35. She conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now here's the thing. First kid, right? Maybe now Jacob will love me. Second kid, yeah, this is it. This is it. Jacob's going to love me now. Third kid, he's got to love me, right? Yeah. And she realizes, you know what? I'm looking for affection in the wrong place. Wow. I'm looking for favor in someone who can't give it to me. We can love each other, but we're never going to be enough for each other. Right. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to blow it. We're going to say the wrong thing. Uh, we're going to uh, you know, come off like he was really hurtful today. Like We're going to mess up. Right. 
But if we have too much hope and idolization in each other, it's going to kill us. But if we say, you know what, actually, God is my rescuer. You know what, actually, I find favor in God. You know what, I am God's son with whom he is well pleased. I am God's daughter. He loves me. I find my identification in God, not how I'm treated by people. And you know what? She gets it, doesn't she? How awesome is it? She gets it. She goes, this time, uh uh-uh. It's not for you, Jacob. It's not for you. This time I'm praising the Lord. Hebrew praise is yada, Judah. The word for praise is Judah. Now, it can be easy to think, man, Rachel, she's got it going on. She's got the kids. She ends up having two sons. Jesus Christ comes from the line of Judah. The Messiah of the entire world came through Leah. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came through the rejected. Came through the lesser sister. Came through the wounded sister. God does not want any of us to show up and say, look what I have. All you have to need is need. All you have to do is be able to say, I need God and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to praise him. Leah can't earn God's favor, but she says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. And praising isn't just singing songs. Praise God, because I'm not good at that one. (laughs) Praising praising is actually much more. And for us, as we leave today, how awesome is it that we get, I mean, man, that that 1,500 years before Jesus, God's going, Leah, you're you're my girl. I I know you're wounded now, but Jesus is coming through your son. I know you're hurting now, but I'm working through you. I know you can't see anything good your whole life. Actually, after you die, Leah, for 1,500 years, you won't see any good. But I'm working. Got a plan. Jesus is coming through you. Jesus is working through you. And for us, as we were able to feel the same thing, that you know what? God loves us. He's put his favor on us. Not because we've done anything. But let's rejoice in that this morning. Be grateful that we don't have to do anything. And that actually enables me to do more. Is when I realize I don't have to earn it today. I just want to share with a friend what God's done for, for me. And how much God loves me. And as we look at what praise means, as we close out, Romans 12 says, In view of God's mercy, your, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's in view of God's mercy. It's not in view of how much you need to attain. And lastly, Hebrews 13, 15, Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. There it is. This week, the challenge is to have fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That could come about in just being more thankful. The word praise, gratitude is pretty similar. The idea of just being grateful this week and vocalizing that gratitude with each other, with God. Could be with people who aren't even Christians. Could be people you're reaching out to. People you're having in your home in the summer of love. You're saying, you know what? Sometimes we try to uh, clean it up a little bit. We just got to be real with people. You know, I, I, like, I like to say when something good happens, I like to say, man, praise God. And sometimes when I'm around people who aren't Christians, I'm like, should I say praise God still? You know, because they'll be like, uh, what does that mean? But I started to do it like, man, praise God. And people will look at me like, what? And, but, you know, it's like, I don't want to hide it. You know, like, it's God. God did this, not me. Like, look at this cool thing. I want praise God for that. You know, but have lips that openly profess his name. Let's just be real. Let's be honest. Let's be openly thankful and grateful. 
then you don't have to worry about how you're going to share your faith because it's just going to be who you are. You don't have to worry about, how am I going to pitch this? You're not, we're not salesmen here. We're, we're, we're just disciples. We're just disciples. And if we're authentic with people and just share, and hey, I don't have it all figured out, but I will, sh- I will share with you that I need God. And like a tree planted by a stream, I just need some water. I need God. I, it's the, all that I need is God. And as we close out today with this final song, we're going to sing the Lion of Judah. Uh, that, that Jesus Christ, the Lion, the conqueror of the world, would come through Judah, who would come through Leah. That God was working the whole time to deliver uh, one of his wounded daughters to salvation in the same way he'll, he'll deliver us. All we need is need. Amen. And to God be the glory.